You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. So for those, for those of you that are less familiar with the Bible, just want you to understand that the promise that came through Malachi, that Elijah was going to come and prepare the way, that after he gives that promise and that the hearts of the parents are going to be turned to their children, God's going to do all this changing, there's 400 years of nothing. It's hard to imagine. And that the Emmanuel to come was 400 years of waiting where there was no answer. So the story we're going to tell today is the first sound after 400 years of silence. It's pretty exciting. Before I do that, I want to receive our offering. Uh, I want to thank God for Ramesh Sapkota. I want to thank God for uh, Jay Richardson leading that father-daughter trip. That was an incredible conversation that started a couple of years ago, and the men and their daughters that went on that trip was truly remarkable. I want to just add to what Andrew said in saying this. In my lifetime, experience of being all over the world, nothing compares to the depth of anguish or the height of joy that that I've experienced with the girls from Nepal who have been rescued, redeemed, turned into leaders, business owners, church planters. It truly is part of the remarkable story of our life. And so as we're giving, thank you for giving. Thanks for partnering with me. I am so grateful that I've had a chance to regularly give to Kensington. This is my 34th year starting, and uh, it's been a pretty cool journey. So, um, so thankful we're taking this month leading to Christmas for this series to make room. And as the offering finishes going by, I do want to mention one thing. Not just Ramesh, I was thinking about how Ramesh has made unbelievable room in his heart for thousands of of daughters to change the world. But this week at our Troy campus, we lost one of our greatest people. Stephanie Valentine passed into the presence of the Lord a couple of days ago. She's leader of our prayer ministry. She's led a cancer support group. Uh, She was diagnosed with cancer four years ago. She's fought an unbelievable fight. And she's passed on in the presence of the Lord. And last service, her husband Bruce, Bruce and Stephanie were an incredible team. We sat for 45 minutes after the last service and just talked and reminisced and laughed. But I was here two or th- I think three weeks ago, and uh, I was down here hanging out. I wasn't even I wasn't even in the service, but I was down here visiting with people. And somehow the place emptied out, and I was walking up this aisle with Stephanie. She'd been down praying with people. And I could tell she had lost a little bit of weight. And I said, Stephanie, how are you doing? She always had this incredible smile. She and Bruce brought this everywhere. She says, well, she says, there are good days and they're bad. She says, but I'm just thankful to be able to serve. And three weeks later, she's gone. But I thought, what an incredible picture of somebody making room in their life for Jesus and for people And even as late as, uh, I think, 10 days ago, on Zoom, she led her cancer support group. And Bruce said, he was in the other room, he said, you could hear all of them laughing hilariously. Isn't that amazing? That's what happens when you make room in your heart for God. And I think one of the great things is when you make room in your heart, one of the things that we learn to love in hearing is that God is hearing our cry. If you're going to 
If you want to remember one thing today, and you want to leave early to get to brunch, you can leave now after this, is I want you to know that God hears you. And that's what this story is all about. So, are you ready for it? Anybody? Good. Okay, let's go. Luke 1, 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. And his wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. And both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. By the way, that's only only a couple of people in all the Bible are ever referred to in this glowing of terms. Like these people were serious followers of Yahweh, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. I want to just stop right there and say something. They are following God with their whole heart, but their life's not turning out like they want it to, but they're still following God. And I want to say there's an in principle here and say, we don't follow God because everything's going to work perfectly. We follow because he's worth following with our lives. And it says they were very old. And actually, in the old King James, I was looking at the Greek, the Greek word probeno means years that go on and on. And in the King James, it says they were well stricken in years. Isn't that a great phrase? I'm looking out at the audience, and I'm seeing a few well stricken people. Fortunately, I have remained timeless for many, many years. But, uh, and by the way, uh, I was thinking, you know, um, you know, thinking of uh, our wives, you know, the, uh, you might want to try it. Maybe go out to brunch and, you know, someone, you introduce your, 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 your wife to someone and you say, yeah, this is my wife and she's well stricken in years. <laughs> I was just thinking that go over really big. That could be a real could be a real community builder. So anyway, I think they were old and they were well stricken in years. And yet God had a plan for their life. Doesn't matter how old you are, God, when you make room for him, is full of surprises. So once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, this is verse 8, verse 9, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Now listen, this, this would be cool. This would be like, I'm in here doing something, some spiritual activity, and all of you are in the parking lot. And I'm doing something here at Worship God, and everybody's praying outside because there's something special happening. That'd be a very unusual privilege. And it says, then in this moment, he's all alone. The angel of the Lord appears to him, stands at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. The angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Now, I want to say something about angels, just for a second. Don't know why, but from the time of my earliest childhood, all talk about angels was, there was something ethereal, kind of floaty, kind of billowy, uh, not real impressive. And then when I started reading the Bible, I'm like, holy crud, every time somebody sees an angel, they flip out. Angels were not like this. Angels are more like, 
They're incredible. Read the Bible. Tell me I'm not making this up. And this is Gabriel. Gabriel, the archangel. Incredible. And by the way, I've only ever read one book that really captured the essence of what I think the Bible teaches about angels, and that was Frank Peretti's book that he wrote 35 years ago called This Present Darkness. It was the first time I'd ever read a book that captured the spiritual movement that we're living in right now. It's very similar to when Elijah uh, prays that the, that the young man that's with him, uh, these people, the king of Aram is with soldiers that sent people to arrest Elijah, and he says, God, open the eyes of this young boy with me. In the, and the boy looks, and all he can see all everywhere in the hills is, is a warriors uh, on their horses and chariots surrounding. Like if you could really see. And so in this moment, Zechariah has been waiting with the people of Israel for 400 years. Nothing. Crickets. He's been waiting his whole life for God to answer his longing for a family because he's old. And he and Elizabeth are old, and they're looking at a future that is not what they hoped it would be. And God says to Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. So this is what I want you to know today. Above everything else I'm going to say today, God is saying to you today, if you're listening on stream, wherever you are, God is saying, I heard you, and I hear you. If there's one thing I would love for you to like hang on to and grab on like in the in the moments where you feel like God is silent or the prayers and the longings of your heart have not been answered God saying listen all that time all that time I heard you I heard you and I hear you I love that because this word is a unique is a unique word in, in the Greek. Akuo is the word means to, to listen or hear, but it's, this is isakuo, which means to pay attention to by leaning into someone. So if someone was coming for you to make a request, they're going to ask you to borrow your car. Go, hey, can I ask a favor? Can I ask a favor of you? Like, and you're like, yeah, sure, what is it? Wouldn't that be cool if we treated each other that way? By the way, could I borrow your car? Yeah, sure. You didn't lean, though. You stayed back. You should have had to lean in. Okay, there you go. So it's that leaning in to grant a request. And I thought, I, I'm sure this is true of you, but I have had prayers. I've been praying for decades. They remain unanswered. Do you? But you do. We start to be afraid as the years go by. Hey, are you listening? You listening? Do you hear? I have a cousin by marriage who I love. I've been praying for him for 55 years. I met him when I was 12. Loved him from the moment I met him. He has never given one indication of openness to God in 55 years. Still love him. He's a good friend. But he has been absolutely not responsive. Identify, identifies himself as an atheist. Very firm in his convictions. And I love him. I think he loves me. But it hasn't stopped me from praying. And you know what? All I've heard for 55 years on that prayer is silence. 
but I'm still listening. It goes on to say, not only is God saying, I heard you and I hear you, it says, uh, he's, uh, he's speaking to Zechariah, and he says, your son John is going to be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. And he'll bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. This guy's going to be a, a change maker. He's going to be amazing. But this is what I want to say is the message to you. God is saying, not only do I hear you, but God is saying to anyone who will listen, I will have joy and delight ahead for you. I'll have joy and delight ahead for you. Like Stephanie, can you imagine the joy and delight of her stepping into the presence of the Lord this week? But I watched her for four years battle cancer and live with joy and delight and take joy and delight in people. This is what God does. And this is great. The word delight here, you want to hear a great Greek word? Anybody? Okay, four of you. Super. This, this word is agaliosis. That sounds like a Greek word, doesn't it? It means extreme gladness and overwhelming joy. This is like ex ecstasy. He's going to bring so much light. And God is saying to us, if you will make room in your heart, I'll bring joy and delight into your life. So when I'm sitting with Bruce here a few minutes ago, he just lost his sweetheart, Stephanie. And we're crying for the first 15 minutes. About 15 minutes in our conversation, you know what we're doing? We're laughing. We're laughing because we're telling stories about Stephanie. We, had, we did some incredible trips and, and uh, because there's joy when you make room in your heart. Goes on to promise in verse 17 that John will go on before the Lord. In other words, he's going to go on before the Messiah in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Third thing I want you to remember. You remember these? God says, I hear you. That's, that's number one. Number two is I have joy and delight ahead for you. So cool. And then three, he goes, I'm going to turn hearts. I want to turn hearts. I'm in the business of changing hearts. My sister, when we were in high school, she turned to me and she said, Steve, I, she's, she's 17 months older than me. She's been such a super friend. She goes, I never believed God could have changed you when we were kids. You had the worst temper of anybody I ever knew in my whole life. But you know what? I want to say to you, God is in the business of turning hearts. He turns our hearts towards each other. He brings forgiveness. He gives us the ability to, to bear with each other in love. There's a reason it says to bear with somebody. It doesn't mean like, hey, really enjoy, you know, being in a in love relationship with people. It's like, no, bear with people. It's like, this is a hassle. But do it because my love is real. This word, turn, by the way, another great word. Last great Greek word of the day. Epistrepho. Come on, that's like worth at least a dollar. <laughs> Epistrepho, to turn oneself around, to turn back, and then to be brought back. So here's what's happening in this story. Luke 1, 
says he's going to turn the hearts of the parents. This is going to happen. This is the precursor to the prodigal son who's going to turn back and then be brought back because this is what Jesus does. This is what God the Father does. He doesn't care how far you've wandered away or how, how resistant you are to his love. He's going to bring you home. That's what the story is teaching. I never saw that until this week. 18, Zechariah asked the angel. This is, this is when I, I can feel my old manness kicking in. He says, how can I be sure of this? How can I be sure you're going to do this and give us the son? I'm an old man and my wife is well stricken. <laughs> I think they had a beautiful relationship. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. You know, this guy's awesome. And look at this. Listen to this. And I stand in the presence of God. And I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until until the day this happens. Because you do not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Fourth thing God is saying in this story is this. Wait in silence. You can't be human. You can't journey in life and solve everything. You can't rush headlong into the noise of this world. There have got to be moments where you wait in silence. And believe me, of all generations that maybe have ever lived on planet Earth, we are the ones who like silence the least. When you think... Like everywhere you go, we're bombarded. We create our own bombardment. We create noise. And there's something about silence that's terrifying. And God says, uh, through Gabriel to Zechariah, he says, you're going to be silent. The the actual old-timey word would have been, you're going to be dumb. Remember deaf and dumb? Unable to hear, unable to speak. You're going to be struck soundless. Until this boy is born, you are going to be unable to make a sound. In fact, Betty Dickinson in, the, in our Advent book, Make, Making Room, which, which is so good, looking at it again this morning, she, she writes, when Zechariah hears God's promise, there's no room to receive it. His heart is too full of bitterness from all the bad news. And I thought, does anything destri- describe our culture right now than people who feel just like Zechariah? We all do. Our hearts are full of bad news. One of the unintended consequences of living in a digital world is that we can find ourselves in negative loops that are so crushing. I'm living right now with where I feel sick almost all the time because I have so many friends in Palestine and I have friends in Israel. I have Palestinian friends and I have Jewish friends. And the heartache is just unreal. And the consequences are unreal. And it's like God saying, no, I'm going to make a way. Someday, Jesus says it through John in the end of Revelation. You've heard this at funerals. He says, listen, just remember, I'm making everything new. At some point, I'm going to make everything new. And so Zechariah sits in silence to see if room can grow in him to hope that God is really speaking. 
And here's what's amazing about this silence. Silence can be such an amazing gift. And what really hit me more than anything in this time, silence is probably the greatest communication tool there is. Try it with your kids. I don't mean judgy silence, which by the way, I got some, my, my daughters are here today. They, they know what judgy silence feels like for me. Feels pretty horrible. No, I'm talking about the silence, which is comfortable. Go, just go, I'm going to, I just want to be. I want to be present here. Something really powerful about it. Because here's what's happened. When Zechariah, it says, verse 21, it says, when the, pe- the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. They're, they prayed long enough. They're ready to go home. That, that was a joke. That was really bad. That was a flop. Okay. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When he walked out, unable to speak, do you realize that everybody gathered were listening more intently than they probably had ever listened in any religious service? Because he said nothing. And you start to listen. And I would love for all of us to have moments where we live into the silence of God maybe speaking to us. And then finally, this, this is the main, I got one more for you, and then I'm going to just kind of share some, share some victories that happened out of it. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. (laughs) These days, he's shown his favor (laughs) and taken away my disgrace among the people. Last big thing I want you to remember today is God is saying to you, your disgrace is gone. It's gone. Jesus has taken your shame and my shame and your disgrace and my disgrace and carried it on himself onto the cross. And all of his coming through Zechariah, who was going to, Zechariah Elizabeth, who were going to give birth to John, and John was going to pave the way for Jesus, all of this was going to come to a moment where saying, your disgrace is over. How many of you wake up in the middle of the night and you live with the regrets of dumb things you've done in your life? Anybody do that? Yeah, I bet we do. We all do it. And God is saying, your disgrace is gone. In fact, let's, we didn't do it, let's just do it right now. Let's say, let's say together, just in a real sweet way, my disgrace is gone. Let's just say it out loud. My disgrace is gone. That is so. Like God, Romans 8, many decades later, Paul's going to write in Romans, for there's no judgment, no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. See, Jesus came to wipe away the disgrace, and not just the disgrace of our mistakes, but what, for, what was it for Elizabeth? The, dis- the disgrace of disappointment. This shame, this reproach, because barrenness historically was such a crushing blow and often still is. I can't even read this without remembering for Paul and I, our years of infertility. And even the way the scripture is written, so, so male-driven, isn't it? 
Elizabeth was unable to conceive. Well, who knows? Could have been Zechariah's problem. Isn't that interesting? But yeah, it gets, gets dumped on the... It's so funny how we, we, we just assume things when we read it. I just remember for us, that period of our life was so deeply discouraging and heartbreaking. But man, when God spoke and... You know, with Lindy and then Nancy and then Helen and even Jeff. <laughs> there was such a such an incredible exaltation. And here's what's interesting. I want you to in thinking about this, your disgrace is gone. This word gone means to take away. It means there's a sense in which God is actively removing the disgrace. It's not like he would just come and go, Your disgrace is gone. He'd be like, Here, let me have that. And let me have that. And that really, let me have that. Let me have that. Let me take it away. It's pretty awesome, isn't it? I hear you. Your disgrace is gone. Wait in silence. Watch as I turn hearts. This is all the stuff that God is doing in the years of silence. I'm going to give you one more point, and then I I want to tell the end of the story. God not only is hearing the cry of our hearts, he's hearing us, but he's also listening for our praise, like in this story. He's, because it's, it's a two-way, it's, relationship is two-directional. Is, is two, is two like he's, he says, I'm, I'm hearing you, I'm listening to you, but I want to know, are you hearing me? Are you listening? I'm listening. It's just a beautiful interchange. Because verse 57, jump, jump to the end of the chapter, when, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son, and everybody's going crazy. And uh, the eighth day, verse 59, they get ready to circumcise the baby. They're going to name him Zechariah. But his mother says, no, he's to be called John. They said, there's no one among your relatives that has that name. And then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet. This is verse 63. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue set free. And what did he do? He began to speak, praising God. And all the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. And everyone who heard this wondered, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Look look at verse 66 again. Everyone who heard wondered. Isn't that amazing that out of Zechariah's unbelief, out of his silence, but out of his still trusting God, even in the midst of the silence, God speaks through him louder, speaks through him to other people louder than they had ever heard before through his praises, through his eulogeo, to praise in celebration, to give a blessing, to plant blessings on something. And when Zechariah is finally aligned with God's plan, he's able to speak with conviction and joy and praise, and everyone around him is glued to every word he says. I wonder what that would be like as a speaker. (laughs) Thank you. Okay. Give that a solid B-. minus. And then finally, I want you to watch Zechariah explode with joy because God has heard and acted on his behalf for all the people. And I want to just say, before I read, before I read this last section and close, our mission 
is to pray. Remember, they were living faithfully in prayer. Even even with burning sense, he's praying. But then God speaks. He listens. And he listens in silence. And then he breaks out into praise. And then he starts to proclaim the mission of God for all people. Let's finish with this. Just to feel this with me as we finish. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is John the Baptist again, his father. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he's come to his people and redeemed them. If some of you came here wondering what God is like, just think of the action movement of this. He redeems people. Verse 69, he raises up a horn of salvation. In other words, like a root of salvation in the house of his servant David. Verse 71, he brings salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. And I don't think about that in terms of people anymore. But I think about what are all the enemies of our lives, our addictions, the learned patterns of our life that are hurtful to ourselves and to other people. God brings, he he rescues us from that. He shows mercy to our ancestors. I think back on, again, have you ever done that? Look back on your own life. As checkered as your family history might be, and look for mercy. You ever look for that? It's an amazing exercise. I encourage you to do it. Because God has shown mercy to your family even when it couldn't be seen. To rescue us from the hands of our enemies, verse 74. Uh, Verse 76, you, my child, he's back now talking, Zechariah speaking to his son, you'll be called a prophet of the Most High. This is something we should all speak to the people in our lives. I want to say to you, I want to say today, as John, as John the Baptist was spoken to as a baby from Zechariah, I would say to you, listen, God Most High has claimed your life and wants to use you and wants to move in you and has a plan for you. And there are strategies and people to be loved and reached that only you can do. You're part of his plan. My son, my child, my daughter, You will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him. That's what we do. We invite people to Christmas Eve service, or we do something for a neighbor, or we go to the mission field, we go to Nepal, and we serve there. What are we doing? We're we're like John the Baptist. We're just making a way for people to find their way to Jesus. It's so fun. To give to his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. You see what God does? Rescues, saves, mercy, rescue, uh, forgiveness, tender mercy. And then the last verse, and this is where I'm done. Man can come out. To shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. You see, when we know that God hears us, when we know that he's committed to bringing joy and delight into our lives, when he's come to take away our disgrace, all of a sudden, and even in the hard waiting and silence, we learn to be thankful and to trust that he's starting to shine his light into our lives. And this, this is the last, I lied to you. I told you I wasn't going to give you any more Greek words. I got two more. It's like bonus, like bonus, bonus round. Ding, 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 ding. Okay, that was weird. Okay. 
God's will of salvation and rescue to serve, oh, this is one I missed, to serve him without fear. That was in there. I forgot that one. To fearlessly do whatever God asks, and the way, the way that it's written, it, irrespective of no matter how menial or mundane the task. To shine his light for those living in darkness. To give light to those in darkness. In blindness or in misery or ungodliness or immorality. It's a, it's, this darkness that he talks about, this skatos, is like being completely locked down in the dark. Whatever, whatever the brokenness of your life is. And he says, I want to shine my light, my epitheno. It means to give light. It's not you just shining it, you're giving it. It's like you're implanting it. You're filling someone up with the light. And some of you know people. I was thinking Stephanie, but it's the last time I'm going to refer to Stephanie. Stephanie had light. It's like she exuded light. When Andrew Kim's up here, he just, he is always bringing me encouragement. Giving light. That's what we're going to do. What if we spent the rest of our lives doing that together? What fun that would be. And then the last word is to those, to shine the light on those in the shadow of death. This word skia means shadow or gloom. And it's perfect because daylight savings time's just started. Shadow and gloom. And hasn't the sun been wonderful the last two weeks? But man, there, there are weeks in the winter where the shadow and the gloom I struggle with it. But it's a reminder of me, what is it like when the sun is blocked, the light is not reaching us? And this is Jesus, the, uh, Zechariah was prophesying this to fulfill what Isaiah had said in the Old Testament, that a great light will dispel the darkness that has overtaken people. When I think about my hope for the world, um, People who know me know, know that I love Israel and Palestine, and I love, been there a lot, love the people. It's really amazing people. And man, I just, I don't see it. I just don't see a good answer. I know every, every, people have opinions, but it's just so complicated and so hard, and the hurt is so deeply entrenched on every side. And nobody cares about my opinion. And so I just pray, Lord, Lord Jesus, come. Come again. They waited 400 years. We've waited longer than that now. But like Jesus, come on the clouds with great glory. Make everything new. As we come to Christmas, we make rooms in our heart. Part of what we're doing is we're making room because Jesus makes every day new. He makes our lives new over and over again. He gives us second, third, millionth chances. He gives us his hope along the way. And I just know that some of you are feeling buried by the struggles of your life. And I want you to know that Jesus came to give all of us life and give it to the fullest, to shine his light in the darkness and under the shadow of death. And I thought, wouldn't it be something if we learned to focus on him? Nate Mir Elke was working on was the lead lead worker on this message and he one of the things he he wrote he said the more i delightfully focus on jesus and give myself to him the more his desires become my become my desires in other words i want to start doing the things that care about the things that he's doing that's why when i'm up here talking about ramesh our daughters i'm like what do i want i want you to care like i care 
for those amazing people. I want you to, you know, I want you to say to Ramesh, like, I'm, like, I'm with you to my last breath, man. I'm with you all the way. That's what we say to each other in Christ. We don't look back. We look forward and we receive his salvation and let his light shine in the darkness. Lord, you made room in your heart for us. John 3, 16. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. Man, you made all the room in the world for us. And you pursued us to the ends of the earth. And Lord, here we are. Here we are trying to make room in our hearts for you. And our, our hearts are full of other stuff. Our hearts are also full of fear and discouragement. But Lord, in this ending moment, make room for your light to shine in us to dispel the gloom and shine through us to dispel the darkness around us. So we together as your body, as the body of Christ and your heart, we open our lives and we say what we're going to sing now. Here is where we lay it down, every burden, every crown. This is our surrender. And we will make room for you to do whatever you want us to. We'll make room for you. Have your way with us. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.